Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. What you have to ask yourself if you're not getting what you need, it's not about why is everything wrong, what's happening. You got to ask, what am I not doing to prepare for my destiny? What do I need to do in this moment to continue to prepare for my success? Listeners, welcome to another episode of In the Envelope. I say whew because I've just been editing today's episode featuring the talented actor Aldous Hodge, and I hope you are all ready for what is in store for this amazing interview. I think we can call it a cold and refreshing glass of truth, because Aldous and I got into it about the state of the industry, a question I've been asking a lot of recent guests on this podcast. Um, And his answer was very frank, very uh, honest, spoken from the heart, spoken from his personal experience, and I will say quite different from all of the other responses we've had to that question. So stay tuned for that. I've been a fan of Alice ever since, um, even before Clemency, which is the uh, Alfre Woodard movie that came out a couple years ago. He's an astonishing, silent actor. I got to ask him about that. But mostly we are here today to, on the heels of, his now award-winning movie, One Night in Miami. On the day I'm recording this, Tuesday, uh, the Film Independent Spirit Awards announced their pick for the Robert Altman Award, which honors one film every year for their director, casting director, and ensemble. And so, congratulations to Aldis, who plays Jim Brown in this movie, One Night in Miami, and also to Leslie Odom Jr., friend of the podcast, Kingsley Benadir, a recent backstage cover star, um, Eli Gorey, uh, casting director Kimberly Hardin and director Regina King, the one and only Regina King, also a friend of the podcast. Congratulations to all of them because as of now, I mean, we are here in the thick of award season as of now, and One Night in Miami is an award winner. So this interview touches on that. Aldis did speak about working with the great Regina King. Um, and we're going to link in today's episode description and the article that goes with this episode to an In the Room article from Dear Elise Roth that interviews Kimberly Hardin about casting One Night in Miami because her the job that was facing her was to cast Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, who Aldous Hodge played. I'm reading from this feature. She says, um, every actor auditioned and read several times, individually and in a chemistry read. The story takes place mostly within one set, just those four gentlemen, so they're extremely important. And then she goes on to talk about how she had to match their certain physicality and their certain looks. But, quote, when you're watching a biopic, you're going to be expecting to see those real people come to life. It started with the look, but I love the camaraderie, too. So 
read about this movie, go see this movie, and um, stay tuned with In the Envelope because we are back next week in the thick of things. Next week is the Golden Globe nominations and then Screen Actors Guild nominations. And we already have some really exciting talent lined up. So keep listening, listeners, and stay tuned after this interview with Aldis to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella for those of you who are auditioning and looking to use backstage to launch your careers. Ah, I'm so excited to get to this interview. All right, let's take a quick break and then get to Aldis. This episode of In the Envelope is brought to you by Amazon Studios and the original movie One Night in Miami, inspired by true events that took place on one legendary night in 1964. From director Regina King, writer Kemp Powers, and starring Kingsley Benadire, Eli Gorey, Leslie Odom Jr., and Aldous Hodge, critics are calling it beautifully made with dazzling performances across the board. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, now streaming on Prime Video. Actor and entrepreneur Aldous Hodge began working in front of the camera as a child before studying art and getting his big break on the series Leverage. Audiences may also know him from Straight Outta Compton, Hidden Figures, Underground, Clemency, The Invisible Man, and Showtime's City on a Hill. He now plays Jim Brown in Amazon Studios' One Night in Miami, from writer Kemp Powers and director Regina King. Here is the compelling Aldous Hodge. All right, sweet. Um, Jackie, you rolling? Um, yes, I am. All righty, let's get it. All right, <laughs> I'll leave you guys to it. <laughs> um, what is what is iAudition? Is the recording? Uh, yeah, it's an app. It's an app I use for all of my like uh, my my voiceover auditions and things like that. Really? Yeah, yeah, man. It does the job. It does it, you know, pretty decently, but. Uh, you kind of have to set a room where there's no reverb or anything like that. But, uh-huh. you know, I get by. I get yeah. by. Yeah. And, of course, in this age of quarantine, we've all had to become, like, sound engineers and Sound engineers, <laughs> graphics engineers, all that kind of yes. stuff. Yes. Lighting and tech. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so happy to talk to you. Um, welcome to Backstage's podcast. Are you familiar you. with Backstage at all? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Did you like use backstage for casting notices ever? So I didn't. Uh, so we used early in the day, early in the day. Yeah, um, I've been in the game a minute, man. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, man. But back in the day, yeah, I remember we used to go through it a little bit just to see what was happening out there in the streets. Perfect. Because um, we actually love hearing about like it's kind of cool to hear that you're you're still auditioning and and using <laughs> software to record yourself to do that is this for you yeah. said voice roles i mean this is the age of uh, on tape auditions i mean i've yeah. been having to tape uh i mean uh, to to do auditions on tape for for a long time just because most of my work um takes me out of out of la or you know what i mean yeah. so whenever an audition comes through you know me like every other actor we sitting on set in the trailer trying to get the lighting right to you know get it oh, finding wow. a good reader is terribly difficult totally totally <laughs> and and i will say as a note to all actors um <laughs> I, as a producer 
you know, I produce, uh, I produce and, and, and we watch auditions and we go through it. Mm-hmm. You can literally have a fantastic audition messed up because of a, a, a bad reader. So because make sure that your reader is on point. And now I'm not talking about the overdramatic performance and nothing like that. I'm talking about just somebody who understands what the context is of the scene yeah. and knows how to make you shine. Because sometimes we'll be sitting in there like, I mean, the the audition was decent, but did you hear the read? I was distracted the whole distracted. time. You got to watch yeah. the tape three, four times. Get a good reader. That is your best shot. Um, but yeah, man, uh, uh, online, uh, I mean, I mean, on tape auditioning, the the audio recordings for voiceovers and all that, which is, you know, there's there's an advantage and a disadvantage, I think, to it all, because I like to be in the room and work with people. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to voiceover auditions, you you got to be in there and mm. you want to get a little feedback immediately, hear what people are saying and, and see where you can tweak it and work it. If you're relying only on yourself, you know, you, you kind of have that shot and you just have to have confidence. Um, sometimes <laughs> it can be a good thing or a bad thing. I remember putting myself on tape recently for a job that uh, I just got where, you know, I put myself on tape over 300 times before I submitted it and it oh was God. worth it. Yeah. It I didn't realize, it. I didn't realize how many times I put myself on tape until I started deleting the videos <laughs> off of my phone. Yes. And every time I would delete a chunk, it'd be like 64 videos or a hundred and something videos. And then, uh, you know, 50 something videos. And I started calculating. I was like, God damn, it was over 300 times, you know? Um, but again, it was worth it. You know, it was very much worth it, but that's because I'm not in the room with feedback. But at the same time, I was able to take the time to get it right. So there's advantages you and disadvantages. Right. You just got to balance it. You booked that job. I did. Okay, yeah. good. Because 300 <laughs> takes and not booking it. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that already. Takes. I mean, already you're giving great advice because this is already speaking to like, first of all, work ethic. That is it. That is the oh, amount man. of work that you have yeah, to put in put for that a self tape, right? Put that hustle in. A lot of cats yeah. may not realize, you know, they, they they look at people who they presume to be at the top of their game, top of their professional peak, and right. they think it becomes easy breezy. Right. And when you talk to these people, you realize they are equally concerned with their careers at mm. that particular stage as you may be at a beginning stage. Yeah. And they are more so... Uh, uh, they're, they're, I find I find the true professionals to be more dedicated and more motivated mm. now than they were when they started because they yeah. realize how much hard work it takes to get there, to maintain, and then to supersede their positioning. So yeah. when you meet these people, you realize, you know, your work ethic is monstrous. It is yeah. insane. <laughs> so yeah. I would tell artists to always seek to improve your stamina. Um, go harder because yeah. at the end of the day, it's worth it regardless of how tired you are. That doesn't matter. Um, I, I, Ashton Kutcher said it best in a uh, an acceptance speech. I believe I heard, heard one time he said, mm. you know, real work, uh, no, success looks like um, hard work. Mm. That's what, but we're, and it's true. Success yeah. is actually work, hard work. And yeah. you have to learn to enjoy the hardships of it. Totally. Gosh, that's that's excellent advice already. And in, in fact, I'd love to hear about like the early days of your career mm-hmm. and how the philosophy has changed and how how has the mission changed? Like I always mm-hmm. like to ask, like, 
why acting? How did you actually <laughs> get into this? Oh, the I, I can tell you how the mission has evolved for certain. Yeah. Um, why acting? I blame uh, Batman and my brother, Edwin Hodge. Um, <laughs> my brother told my mom he wanted to be in the box when we were we were stationed in Hawaii. Both my parents were, were Marines. We were stationed out there. Uh-huh. He kept watching the Cosby show, telling my mom he wanted to be in the box, which means the television. So um, mm-hmm. she uh, brilliantly understood what this little three-year-old was talking about. So we shipped off to uh, New Jersey and my mom got him hooked up with, uh, you know, we started doing like print work and, and background work, things oh. like that. And on one job, I think it was an Essence photo shoot, uh, it was a job where they needed an extra kid. And I was there my mom said, all right, you know, I got my baby. So, you know, I'm going to take my little pictures. <laughs> and then after that, she gave me a Batman toy. And I was like, oh, wait a minute auditions equal Batman toys? Wait a minute. Um, yeah. I was an entrepreneur since I was like two or three years old. I was with it. Yeah. So at first acting was just, we treated it like, you know, an instrument or a sport in school and elective. My mom made sure that it was always the privilege and never the priority. So if okay. we didn't come home with A's and B's from school, we were not going on auditions. We had to gotcha. earn it. And she really, you know, and, and sometimes kids can get treated as adults or have these liberties um, mm. that sort of takes away their actual childhood when it comes to this industry. And my mom made it such a huge priority that we had a childhood. And, you know, she's from Florida. She's from the South. She's Marine. She is not playing games. She don't care mm-hmm. what the job is or who's around. You know, <laughs> if I'm acting up, she's going to whoop my butt. So, um, you know, she was a fantastic parent and a fantastic teacher and motivator. And education was everything for us. Mm-hmm. She said, right. it doesn't matter how much money you make. As if you can't read them contracts, it don't matter. Right. Totally. And I say that because there's a lot of actors who want to start out young. But again, you have to have life experience to pour into your art. If you have no life experience, go get some. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself at like 13, 14, figuring out I need to step away from acting to get life experience to, to do this thing. But okay. it cannot be the center of your happiness. Right. It cannot be the definition of who you are. It cannot be your center of joy. Maybe have a childhood. As a young kid, yeah. As a young kid, yeah. And to the parents as well, understand Mm -hmm. this is not going anywhere. This is not more important than your child having a real understanding and a foundation for what actual life is. Yeah. You know, um, this business is the only industry I know where you step into entertainment overall. You step Mm -hmm. into it and immediately people are telling you everything that makes you perfect is wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so change, you know what I mean? Ugh. And you have to have a, a, a core group around you that's going to help you mm. find your value and believe in your value and set your value for everybody else around you. That's what my mother did. So, gotcha. you know, there are priorities that will always outweigh this business. Um, and speaking to, like you said, mission, purpose, figure out why you're here mm. and what you're doing and why, yeah. you know, it found me. But... Mm. You know, I came up in an environment, as we can see, this is not a fair fair environment for different cultures. It's heavily skewed and, and, and weighed indifferently, uh, uh, especially, you know, of course, as, as, a, as a man, as a black man, always dealing with the heavy overt racism within this particular industry. And for me, yep. my mission has now become to even that scale out by putting myself in a position to afford being able to create and build opportunities for others to normalize the Mm -hmm. idea of seeing many different cultures put together and not having to 
force the idea of diversity or inclusion because mm-hmm. it's, it's an afterthought. Again, my mission is now to continue to normalize and also improve the perception of how black people are seen. I remember when I was mm-hmm. a kid, all it was was thug roles and, you know, uh, uh, um, athlete roles for the longest time through my teenage years. I had locks, you know, I had sure. dreadlocks. Nobody saw, oh, you dreadlocks, automatic thug. Or sometimes, you know, I'd go on an audition, they'd say, well, you're not black enough because I spoke articulately. And this yeah. is, you know, a 40-year-old Jewish white man telling me this. And I'm like, yeah, part of my language, the hell you know about black? Like, if you understood black culture, you would know this is exactly black. So you're now continuing to to contribute to the detriment of how black people are seen because totally. you only see a very you're culturally inept. Culturally and I have inept. <laughs> yeah, and yes. I have to deal with this. Or when yeah. it comes down to not having a job, um, and you have to figure out, damn, do I take this thug role and eat away at my soul just because I got to pay these bills, or do 100%. I sit here and you know, continue to sacrifice a couple of months waiting because yeah. I know this is not what I want to live with. I need to be able to rest easy at night. It's, it's never comfortable. So a part yeah. of my mission is to to be a part of productions that promote a healthier perception yeah. of Black people and normalizing the truth and how I see Black people because what I was raised with was absolute excellence. I was raised with innovators. I was raised with educators. I was raised with people that contributed so much to culture all over the world but received so very little benefit of those contributions that Mm. now I'm charged with having to shed light on those contributions. Because it is my task, it is my joy, and it is now my purpose. Totally. Totally. And you hit the nail on the head in terms of, I mean, on this podcast, I have been, we've been asking like, what can actors do, especially mm-hmm. actors who are at the, often the least empowered in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about picking battles sometimes, isn't it? Especially yeah. earlier in your career, like you say, and if you want to take a job, even if it's stereotypical, you got to weigh those pros and cons. Maybe that means mm-hmm. down the line, you are yeah. offered more roles that are authentic and that yeah. can actually bring true representation to the screen. It sounds like yeah. that's where your career has kind of has gone from is in the early days. I noticed a lot of TV guest roles, first of mm-hmm. all, yeah. and then slowly but surely more supporting roles and more films. Mm-hmm. So is it safe to say that the mission has changed because you've had a little bit more choice, a little bit more power in choosing I, I what would, to pursue? I would flip that. I've had more choice only because the mission has changed. Okay. The moment okay. the moment you change your narrative, mm. the moment you learn what to say no to, and the moment you get in the real driver's seat right. and are willing to make the necessary sacrifices, mm. um, you have to believe in yourself so much that you wait on, not wait, actually, yes, wait. Waiting is an mm-hmm. action. Okay. Ooh, and okay. It's, it's, it's wait with purpose mm. because in waiting, I'm learning and growing and training constantly. Yes. Okay. But- when I say wait, I'm talking about here are four offers that you know yeah. aren't great, but they're right here. Here's a bag of money. Either take these or mm. you sit there and you have faith in what you're building and keep pursuing, mm. actively pursuing what you want. Because you gotcha. could do, let's let's put it the scenario. You know, you get a movie that really doesn't speak to your soul, is really not something you want to represent, but they're offering you $500,000 to do it, and it's going to be six months worth of shooting. All right, cool. Now, you take that job. 
you can't really get comfortable with it, but it is what it is. In that mm. time, because that $500,000 looks so great, right? Not realizing that by the time you get that check, it's not even going to be 200 <laughs> By that time, it's, oh. it's chopped up, and then you got taxes, you know what I'm saying? Um, agents, managers, lawyers, you know, fees, all that. But anyway, uh, plus, I probably at that price point, you're taxing a 39% uh, tax bracket. So anyway, you are... <laughs> You got to look at it long form. That job comes right. out, it, Six you know, it kind of fizzles mm. and it puts a bad stain on you mm. because you didn't do your best work. And now you're out of work for the next two, three, four years because you're not as interesting. However, wow. take the alternative where you just wait on that purpose. And you know what? This little cool indie comes up, but artistically mm. it allows you to do your best work. And they're paying you literally $3,000 mm-hmm. for the whole thing. It shoots in the same time frame, but it, you know, it takes like a month, right, to shoot. Yeah. Um, this indie introduces you as an artist to the world, sets up your career mm. for the next 15 years because yeah. people know that you're really valuable and worth it. You don't know if that is going to come, but you got to have faith that you're walking the right path and waiting for the right things to come because you can do something that can really block your blessing. And what I learned is that whenever something was removed from me, I have a high faith in in, in God and my relationship there. I'm not religious, but I have a very personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And my faith tells me that I learned God moves things out of my way in order for me to walk towards my real path and purpose. And Mm. that comes in being fired. That comes in working hard for years, trying to get something that you never get. Um, That comes in dealing with people that you thought were supporting you and then you see their truth and then they're removed from your path. It takes pain to grow. Pain is the pressure that really creates the diamond inside Um, because you get to learn how to deal with it and you learn how to get stronger and go for it. But you also learn how to be brave enough to take a risk on yourself Mm. and and really believe in your path because you can get stuck in a a very financially successful career that doesn't leave you full artistically and vice versa. You can get a career that leaves you full artistically. Maybe it's not so financially beneficial, but at the end of the day, where are you happiest? Where are you most satisfied? Mm. Right. You know? And that, that question will be, that answer is different for everyone, maybe. It's very different, yeah. But Just I, like what success you're saying is, is different like, for everybody. Totally. And everyone's path mm. is, yeah. Especially in such a fickle industry. But you're oh, saying it's... like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but keep the, keep the mission statement in mind because that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing to work towards and the thing to keep changing in such a fickle mm-hmm. industry and like adapting... Right. I love and, this and idea of um, waiting is action because that means yeah, yeah. that like you, it's the faith that you have in yourself that things mm-hmm. will work out that allows you to see this is a choice that I can make. I can choose to not take this job. That's Absolutely. Okay. Choice yeah. is the most power you'll have as an artist. And, and you know, waiting as an action, you know, with being uh, with the shutdown last year when we were all exactly. introduced to quarantine, a lot of us felt like we had to wait. No, we had to do work. Sit with yourself for a minute, figure out mm-hmm. where you need to grow and evolve. In that time, I did a lot of personal work preparing for when I was going to get active again. Okay. The problem with that is that I started, initi- I initiated not a bad, it's a champagne problem. I initiated a lot of things that 
really started growing all at the same time. So now I have a time management oh, issue. Oh, now you're busy. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you started this company and this company, you want to do this? Okay. And, oh, it's all working at the same time. That's a good problem. Right. To have. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a good problem to have. But it is, it's constant preparation and, and growth and learning. As an artist, you have to be a consummate student because the moment you stop learning is the moment your craft begins to yeah. die. And I believe that with all of our, uh, all of what we contribute as an artist, a lot of times people seek mostly what to get out of it for them, what to get out of the experience for themselves, but you're going to get something out of it regardless. What makes you mm. great is what you can figure out to contribute to the craft. What are you pushing mm. into it, you know? Mm. Um, and case in point with roles in, in certain things, like I said, you know, athletes and, and, and playing thugs, mm. that's actually, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's the context sure. behind it. Are you giving me this opportunity because that's the only way you see us? Because athletes are fantastic. We, you know, as far as, look, black culture, we, we have shown up and shown out. And you see basketball, football, baseball, tennis, da, da, da. We dominate in so many areas athletically in a beautiful way. That cannot be uh, 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 discounted, you know? Mm. Because we have the examples, we have the history. So it's not a bad thing at all. But in terms of opportunities of equity, you have doctor, lawyer, this, that, the, da, 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 for all these other, you know. And then for black people, you've only seen us one way. And my question is why? So if I'm going to play an athlete, if if, if I'm going to play... Uh, uh, and again, I'm speaking to my personal experience because for my time and my totally. teens, this is all I was given. Totally. Only because that's what we were, you know, you know, and the ang- angsty teenage, you know, sitcom mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like you got the, you know, the nerd here. You got the hot kid. The da 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 da. And ah, guys, we need we need diversity. Uh, bring the black guy in to be the football player. And it's like, right. But I'm a nerd. I love science. I love engineering. Like, can I be that guy? Um, So there has to be a purpose to it. And with that, if there is a whole human being behind that person, I'm all for it. If there's Mm -hmm. a reason, if there's a purpose to it, if there's a real performance opportunity there, I'm for it. If their character is layered and has meaning and has heart, you know, you look at uh, uh, Denzel in Training Day, and his character was not a good person. No. He was layered and conflicted, yeah. and he was awesome and brilliant. He wasn't yeah. a common thug. He was a human being right. that made some really outrageous choices. That's what I want. <laughs> but if you want yes. me to be a common thug, because this is what you personally believe black people are yeah it you know what i'm saying so for for actors i say i say weigh out the value of it because it's not just the archetype of the role particularly it's the purpose behind the role and why is it are you getting an opportunity or are you allowing someone to use your black ass (laughs) it's basically what i'm saying (laughs) totally totally and in fact it's also it's also that's so empowering for actors because what you're saying is like actors have maybe innately or maybe it's a skill you got to grow the ability mm. to assess that uh, yeah. for, better, for lack of a better word authenticity like you yeah. have the ability to assess is this serving the story in a way that is true to the story or mm. is this the creator making some negative stereotype or right. checking a diversity box or right right I, mean, I tell you, it's not this? an easy pathway. It's one full of sacrifice, but it is one that has gotten me exactly mm-hmm. to where I am today. So that is all the advice I know to give. 
Right. And that's exactly, I mean, what else can you, what else can you offer in terms of, Mm. in terms of the path? Have you seen in this path, have you seen things change? Like, are we seeing in audition rooms and in the decisions of what projects are greenlit, are we making progress away from these? <laughs> no, no, limited. Not. Oh my gosh, Aldous. <laughs> Absolutely not. Here's Ooh. here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. The fact that you have to ask the question shows that we haven't changed. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Yeah. Real change. Uh, people forget that. Um, you know, man, I grew up with Martin and. Fresh Prince and Full House and mm. uh, I mean not, uh, not Full House, uh, Family Matters, you know. And mm. we had the moment, you know. Before that, we had you know Webster, we had uh, Cosby's. You know, mm-hmm. what happens? What I see consistent constantly with with Hollywood is we are treated as a trend, right? Here's a okay. moment. Here's your time. Boom, trend. A but moment. then the trend goes up and down. It's really great. Yeah. Oh, we gotta get black people in the room. Da da da. But do you know why you need black people in the room? Do you know why? It's because it's normal. We supplement so much value for the culture of America, for Absolutely. what we all benefit from. And it's not just black people. It's, it's all cultures, right? Oh, yeah. So we need to really spread that equity all around. But as it re- relates directly to black people, we don't mm-hmm. get that same equity when it comes to consistency. I will see change when there is consistency for years on end. A moment means nothing to me because we've had a moment so many times before and we have to learn. If we get comfortable in this moment and stop doing the work and stop pushing, Mm. then we will eventually recede and go back because history is repetitious, Totally. right? And have we really learned the lesson? So... The fact that we have to have the imagine asking that question about white people. It seems laughable and ridiculous because it sure. is. Right. Do white people have the same opportunities in, in industry as the as uh, they've always had, right? And all we're saying is we deserve that same consistency, right? Uh-huh. So absolutely. that's what we're trying to establish. So yeah. no, I have not seen the change, and I will continue to say that until I absolutely f- firmly do see change that has changed that has has altered my opinion Um, because for me, I see people making good efforts. Uh, I see there's a different uh, opportunity uh, opened up when I see us in creative roles and creative dominant creative positions. Yeah. You know, when you have the, the, the Kenya Barris's and the Lena ways and, and the, the uh, Anthony Hemingway's, you know, Mm -hmm. taking up their creative dominance in their space that they've earned and that they've built. And we have more of that. It spreads around the opportunity of equity. But change hasn't fully, fully realized itself yet. And I believe I have faith that it's coming. Don't get me wrong. I'm not completely pessimistic here. Because otherwise, why? Yeah, you couldn't move forward. Yes. But I don't want to, you know, come on here and be all heavy. But, you know, if you get in a conversation, anybody who knows me, they get in a conversation with me. We're about to go, you know. And and I have to watch it because I also want people to know that I'm very happy. Uh, I'm very grateful with where I'm at. I'm very happy because, yes, there are hardships put in front of us, but the to be able to have the tools and the assets to 
manage and handle those hardships is yeah. a privilege. I have a fantastic family yeah. that is my foundation. You know, my mom, she's like managing the business. I had to tell my mom last night, thank you so much because she be taking care. She got me taken care of. My little sister, she's freaking awesome. And she works in the diamond industry, but she be trying to handle brother's social media on the side. Like, hey, you need to go do that. Uh-huh. I'm like, I got you. My brother, Edwin Hodge, we, we actually still work together as well in terms of writing and mm-hmm. producing. So I have a really great foundation, a great family, great support, great team. Um, you know, my representatives, uh, we all understand, you know, what we're up against and we have to figure out how to exactly work with what the goal is whilst maintaining how to survive within this game, you know? So yeah, I just want people to know this is not a charge against anyone in particular. It's just a call to say, I see what's going on and what has been going on. We can all step up to the plate and be mm-hmm. better. But a part of that is understanding the reasons why things have to be done. Yeah. Some people believe, you know, when it comes to inclusion, some people actually believe it's it's an attack or an affront and not, not necessary. But I remember, I think it was 2018, I saw the statistics for um, mm-hmm. roles occupied uh, in television film. And they were, I think... It's somewhere 80 to, I don't know, 88% or something like that in the time was occupied by white males. Yes. So you mean to tell me with the rest of the little percentage that we got, you mad that we trying to get a come up? Exactly. You got 80 some percent. Yeah. And and that and, and and we have that's black people, Latin people, Asian people, oh, Indian yeah. people. Everybody else got to occupy that other little small nugget. You telling me you mad? Because we're just trying to get a come up. And that's what people don't think about. So equity for all is really the goal. Equity for black people is 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 paramount. And when people are Mm. pretending to give us equity, it's far more damaging. And you can because it pacifies somebody's uh, innate ego as well Mm. as justifying their negligent ignorance to continue. So we cannot do that. Totally. This episode of In the Envelope is brought to you by Amazon Studios and the original movie, One Night in Miami, inspired by true events that took place on one legendary night in 1964. From director Regina King, writer Kemp Powers, and starring Kingsley Benadire, Eli Gorey, Leslie Odom Jr., and Aldous Hodge, critics are calling it beautifully made with dazzling performances across the board. For your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, now streaming on Prime Video. Um, I have to ask you about One Night in Miami. Um, yeah, let's get to it. I've been talking this whole time. Let's talk about the movie. Let's get it. No, this is so good. It speaks to exactly what you were talking about. Like, if this was a room full of people who could not speak to that experience. <laughs> yeah. It's not a yeah. documentary. They're, they're not, uh, yeah, you guys are not reading exact lines that were said on a night uh, in Miami. You know, there were so some moments inventions. taken. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, with the the very uh, the opening scene, I don't. Well, I guess it's out now. I don't. You know, the opening sure. scene um, between me and, and Bo Bridges. Uh, that Bo was a fan, fantastic scene. actor. Yeah, yeah. It was a great, great uh, treat to be able to work with Mr. Bridges um, and his daughter, who's actually in the scene. She's mm-hmm. in, yeah, but you know, Bo is playing Mr. Carlton. Uh, Kemp read a story given by, by Jim Brown himself. I believe it was in, in on one of his autobiographies, but he oh. said that it was an, an accounting of what actually happened where he went down, his aunt told him to go 
spend some time with a, a family friend. And, you know, by the end of the conversation, he realized that, oh, they didn't let me in the house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it didn't, didn't, it dawned on him like, wow, <laughs> really? You top in the NFL and I'm still not good enough to come in your house. And perfectly polite. There's a perfectly polite conversation that en- ended with that. It was so but shocking. that's the thing. It's, yeah. it's it, most times it's polite. <laughs> and that sure. I can tell you from honest truth and experience, because I've had many accounts yeah. like that. Most times it's polite. And it's, it's like, um, it's a, it's a, a beautiful dagger is what it is. You know, it looks yes. so pretty. You get so close and then you look up and you're like, oh, I'm stabbed. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> exactly. Oh no. Oh no. I'm dying. Oh no. Save me. Um, totally. so, so there, there's a danger in, in that. What you kind of have to take off the rose colored glasses to really see yeah. people's truth. But yeah, That's man, what Kim that did, a, did. Did, a, did an amazing job, but imagine having a team who actually don't understand the cause and effect of, of this and don't understand totally. what it would do to the culture if we got the narrative wrong, yeah. right? That again, so it was a collaborative effort. And I think that this film is kind of what I was talking about. This is the best uh, uh, example of what really happens when yes. you have equity in a room because you mm-hmm. have all cultures working together, but you got the right people in the right positions. And that's what I'm saying. Totally. You know, you have the people coming together, not to just make a quick buck off of black culture. You have people coming together to celebrate black culture because they understand the importance of their purpose with a project like this, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and thank God for Regina's leadership because she knows she wanted to protect these stories. She knows, she says this for her Mm -hmm. was like a love letter to black men Mm -hmm. and her, ambition and her passion for and her experience is really what carried us through. Mm -hmm. So imagine trying to do this film without somebody who's that passionate, but also knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and that protective. Imagine. Yeah. And has skin in the game. I mean, that's the thing about uh, my takeaway from this movie. This seems like one of those movies where everyone behind the camera and in front of the camera was Mm -hmm. united in one very clear mission statement. And I think yeah. that does come back to like, it must come back to Regina because she <laughs> is the captain of the ship, right? Like she decides she's the captain and the mission. Yeah. yeah. I will say for, for her, I mean, she's impressive in so many ways, but her patience and her humility, how she just talks to people and deals with people mm. is an education all into itself. Mm. Um, she always gave respect. She always gave people time. She made them feel valid and, and heard. And she was so very specific and clear with her message and the details and how she needed something, but she was willing to, to work with you in a collaborative space where she allowed you your process, your due process to figure out what you needed to do. Hmm. Um, but she also kept a firm, firm control of how the ship ran, you know, in terms of making sure we were getting work done. We were on, you know, handling our business cause we had challenges. We had very little time to shoot this. Um, hmm. You, we we had to get creative with some things, like with any any set. But she mm-hmm. managed it so warmly, and you never felt inhibited when you're trying to talk to her about a note, or you know, you never felt less than. So mm-hmm. she really is, uh, to me, sort of a, a playbook on how to do the mm-hmm. job right. Yeah, that should be the norm, as you were saying. The norms should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking with and working with your collaborators at that level of 
humanization of yeah, treating exactly. each other like humans. Exactly. Yeah. Alvis, thank you so much. This is so great. We do oh, have um, thank you. Uh, like silly actorly questions that we ask of everyone. Oh, hit and me. Let's get it. Yeah. I haven't yet asked you really about auditions. I mean, we've speak, we, you spoke about the audition room, but mm-hmm. like, I guess we got to keep going there in terms of we always ask, what is your worst audition horror story? Is your worst <laughs> audition horror story? Um, yeah. Uh, my worst audition of- horror story was when I was uh, 12 years old in a room, like like I'd mentioned previously, 12 years <laughs> old in a room with a, a, a casting director who told me that I wasn't black enough. Yeah. That that's the absolute worst. Yeah. And I'm scenario. like, bro, I'm 12. Like, first of all, skip all the rest. That's I'm 12. Yes. <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> what the hell is wrong it's with you, not bro? Fair. It's not fair. <laughs> you know, yeah. but that's what let me know that the world still didn't understand the intellect and the, the, the true beauty of black culture. And uh, it was something it didn't crush my spirit. I mean, I, I, I was raised in New Jersey around the KKK, like. I'm an old hat at this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Trust me, bro. Uh, mornings were interesting. Having trash thrown out our lawn every single day in our backyard, oh every single day. They cut our Christmas lights three years in a row, so we just stopped putting them up, you know? Oh. And um, yeah, there was there was a host of other much more daunting experiences there, but I'm, I'm very... I had a thick skin um, mm. when it came to to racism. Uh, mm-hmm. But it just boggled my mind because in that question, you know, 12 years old, I'm like, what does he mean not black enough? Because I can, I'm well-spoken? Like, what does he mean? And that's something that pisses me off. You know, um, yeah, the presumption that uh, to speak with intellect or to, to, to be intelligent is to, oh, you're, you're talking white. No, mm. I'm talking like an educated ass black man. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, I'm black. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we we are this too. You know, so again, right. those little misnomers that kind of just built up my my protective measures as an adult. Um, but I love it though. I would not change my experience for the world. <laughs> if I died and came back, I say it again. I, I come back black, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, it builds up a thick skin, which is helpful as as an artist, maybe does mm. that is that helpful in the process of? I mean, Absolutely. being an actor means you're going to get rejected. So having a thick skin yeah. is helpful, right? You have to learn learn to love the nose. When um, I just mm. recently told the story, I in my twenties came to a point where I hated auditioning simply because I, I lost my passion for it. It was it felt like going into the room with a room full of people who didn't know what they wanted, and then mm. only to get told no continuously. And I'm like, what's the point? But uh, an associate of mine at the time, she kept putting me on tape. Um, her name is Taylor Loeb. And she asked me, you know, did I love auditioning? She said, you you stopped enjoying it. Mm. I said, yeah. She was like, you got to figure out how to enjoy it again. You so got to figure it out. Yeah. I changed my mentality. And I said, all right, mm. I'm not going to go in there to book the job. I'm not going in there to impress these people. I'm going in there to impress me. I'm going to go because mm. actors, their job is to audition. As much yeah. as it is, if not more so than just being on set, their job is to audition. So take yeah. it as serious work. And I'm going in there to do the best job for me. I want to satisfy me. So if I walk out, don't matter if I get it. If I walk out and I'm good, I'm happy. I did what I can, all I could totally. do. But if I let myself down in the room, I know that I could have done better. That's going mm-hmm. to eat at me. So to be, uh, to keep it a hundred, like I used to go walk in a room 
in my mind, mentally, I have respect for everybody in the room, but mentally in the, in the room, I'm, I'm looking at everybody like, the hell with y'all and what y'all want. I'm here for me. <laughs> this finna be me, my show. That's great. Damn all, all what you want. And um, it put me at ease and it gave me yeah. a different confidence when auditioning mm-hmm. that changed, I think, my understanding of performance because we really have a psychological job. We study psychology and, and interpret mm-hmm. psychology when it comes yeah. to developing characters and roles and all that totally. kind of stuff. So have fun with playing out the understanding of, of emotions and empathy, but you that's got to be you. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, not trying to figure out what target you want to hit for somebody else. Figure out your path for you and enjoy mm-hmm. you. Learn to enjoy you in the room. I love that. That also it totally speaks to your... Um what you were saying about figure out your own artistic mission and, and as it, especially as it changes, as you get older and as the industry changes or whatever audition for you, I love that. Yeah. For you, man, do for you. Because I've come up with so many challenges in my life, I've had to give purpose to the challenge to anything that was going to try to beat me down. Even, even the people that are haters, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's funny because I remember Cat Williams saying it in in one of his stand-up comedies Mm -hmm. routines saying, haters, like, their job is to hate. Let them do their job. He's right, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to them. I barely even read reviews, not because I don't appreciate them, but because it knocks me off my my job. Like, my job is to just do what I got to do. And in the room, I'm working. I've now given myself a reason to go in the room that is more than financial, that is more than e- e- emotionally supplemental, egotistically. It is about hmm. developing my artistic craft and practicing and going in there to grow. And if again, hmm. if I step out of that room saying, I felt like I've grown, even if they call me and be like, yo, they went another way, but your audition was fired, I'm good. Why? Yeah. Because there's so many politics attached to who gets a job and what, you cannot control it. But my mom always told me and my brother, what's meant for you is yours. So because I believe in what's mine, whatever I don't get or acquire doesn't bother me Mm because my path is mine and it's coming. What's meant for you is going to always come, but you got to be ready for it. So sometimes the universe is going to hold off and not give you an opportunity that you're going to burn because you're not prepared. So what you have to ask yourself, if you're not getting what you need, it's not about why is everything wrong, what's happening. You got to ask, what am I not doing to prepare for gotcha. my destiny? What do I need to do in this moment to continue to prepare for my success? That's what you have to do. Mm. Prepare. How do I prepare for my success? Yeah. Because if it's not there yet, trust me, be doing? grateful. You know, mm. I, I also, uh, so I'm I'm a watch designer, watchmaker, right? I've been in the yeah. game for years. Cool. And all these years been hustling, trying to design, trying to sell this, trying to like trying to get people to buy my designs and trying to get people to build my stuff. And it, it never happened, you know, and I put my my I invested in myself and try to make stuff. Man, if I had sold a watch 10 years ago that I was designing or 15 years ago, that's not setting me up for success because it's not where I'm at now. I learned okay. enough to this yeah. point where now I'm manufacturing. I'm finally manufacturing my first prototype, which I'll have in August. It is absolutely an embodiment of my creative tenure when it comes to all my experience in the game and where I need to be. My designs have matured to where my ambition is. So if I was out before, I would have set myself back. But now that I'm ready, I'm ready. So just be patient, but but keep the work up and you know what? Prepare for your success. Yeah. It's like it's that rising to meet the challenge thing of- Absolutely. um, 
we learn the most outside of our comfort zone or we learn the most from our quote unquote failures because mm-hmm. that's where that's where all the growth happens. Absolutely. Sure. Give give all those failures and, and roadblocks a purpose. Give them something so that you can stay yeah, in a, 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 a positive state and you can you can maintain some peace and some joy. For a while, this yeah. business consumed my happiness and it dictated my happiness, which was dangerous. And um, I had to learn how to get gotcha. out of that that dangerous spin. So give it, give the hardships a purpose, and you'll be, um, you'll be far better off for it. Whenever something happens, that's great life advice. That's that's advice for any human being. Give the give the hardships a purpose. Ah, well, we're, we're all that's, gonna that's have definitely to. learned from things even outside of the business because life ain't been easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> <You know? laughs> no it's, it's foolish to think it's unrealistic to think otherwise. So yeah, man. yeah, might as well deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of, I guess, auditions, but also in terms of character development, maybe the process is the same. Maybe it's different. But do you have like what is that character building process? What goes into it? Um, Research, backstory, like what are the actors? It's specific. Things? to every single character. Okay. Um, but it's all, the, the motivation is all the same. It's honesty. What is most honest mm. to this particular person in this time? You know, for for uh, Jim Brown, mm-hmm. I was playing him in this particular moment, so I didn't study anything beyond the, the, cool. the this moment. I you know, that. I didn't watch his movies because his movies came after this this moment. So I wasn't okay. looking. And plus, also, his movies wouldn't have depicted him. It would have depicted a character he's playing. It's not actually him. Yes. I, I vehemently mm. studied his speeches and his uh, interviews from the 60s in this particular period just to see who he was then. You know, we all cool. evolve at different stages of our life. And who he was then is different than who he was, who he is now. So I wanted to see who that, you know, Mr. Brown was. Um, but that was the research I had to do in that space, research how and what his history was with the other men, just so we can know how to mm. respond to one another in the room, how to yes. deal with one another. Like, what's the energy, right? Relationships. So, yeah. for me, every single character is, is very specific. And when I look at the nature of who they are and what they're doing, what the story is that we're trying to tell, that sort of... It, that that illustrates for me how I'm going to do my research. But at the mm. end of the day, I don't want to play a caricature of anything. I want to play the honest nature of something. Honest. So even if I'm playing a fantasized, you know, mm. um, case in point, you know, I'm I'm going to jump into playing, you know, a superhero. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. I'm researching. Thank you. Um, <laughs> of course, like I grew up on graphic novels. Like I said, Batman got me in the game. So. Yeah. I am a nerd, nerd, nerd. So I do all that research, right? But then I also research in relativity where he's from, the nature of him. You know, the first inception yeah. we understand about this character is his origin comes from Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he was a prince. He, so for me, I do the research on, you know, Egypt. I do the research on archaeology cool. and, and, and all these kind of things that might be interesting to this person as a human mm-hmm. being and not not the idea of... Yes. of um, of a human being. Totally. Human being first is always yes. the, that's the mantra. Yeah. Cause honesty. honesty is what we were all respond to. And it's yes. more, far more interesting. And then we can detect when it's not like we can detect yeah. bullshit. Basically. Honesty over fallacy any day. Mm-hmm. Can I ask also, I know I got to let you go. We're so going over, but this <laughs> is so great. Um, clemency. I had yeah. to ask specifically about clemency because I thought your performance in clemency was so extraordinary and Thank such you. an example of, 
you really, I think you only had a handful of lines. You were a major character in the movie, <laughs> yeah. but truly the dialogue was not a lot. So how do you approach wordless acting well, or pages of direction so rather than dialogue? It's, it's kind of like my same theory with waiting as a verb, right? Sometimes ah. people are taught to wait as though it is doing nothing when you're actually doing something. When you have no lines, you still have to be present. So you have to speak emotionally with, we, because a lot, we learn a lot about each other in life from what we don't say, but it's, it's a subconscious thing. We don't realize yeah. it. That on sounds film, so it's on full di- display. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, that, ju- that sounds like such a difficult task as an actor to recreate that in an honest way. Well, it can be if you're disconnected from huh. the, the, the journey. For this person, the purpose that I gave him, and I establish and, and assign a purpose to every character I, I try to play because it helps keep me on track. With cool. playing, you know, Anthony Woods... I wanted him to, I wanted the audience to understand empathy for this man who we may otherwise judge, presumably. Um, I wanted them to be able to change their minds the way my mind was changed once I started researching Mm -hmm. um, different uh, cases for people who are on death row. So I wanted him to emote mercy and value in a place where they said, you're not valuable. Hmm. I wanted him to show his pain and reach out to people. Whereas, you know, of course he couldn't reach out to, to, to anyone because he, he was behind bars. He had to serve the purpose of teaching the audience how to empathize. Hmm. So that came in letting them read all of my emotions Hmm. when I couldn't say anything. He was muted and he was screaming, but he couldn't scream verbally Mm -hmm. so it was a really fantastic challenge because i love challenges when it comes to this game don't give me easy (laughs) give me something hard i'm just addicted (laughs) to hard things and i really really respect and appreciate you know chuku for that because she wrote an excellent script and you have me with you know the queen miss alfrey woodard and richard schiff were just incredible and and that scene with danielle brooks god damn i mean she's a monster yeah. You know what I mean? She's incredible. So the cast was just so great. You know, we we had a really fully well-rounded cast, but that also helped to support me to do my best work because I'm responding to them, you know, and reacting off of what they do as well. So mm-hmm. um, emoting, you can still speak through your eyes. You can still speak through your m- movements and you can still speak without having words to a point where it's almost more powerful than anything you could say. So if you are ever in a scene as an actor without lines, remember, you're still present, you're still there. And if you're doing your thing, if you are in your bag and, and, (laughs) you know, um, sometimes that's where the camera will stay. Yes. Because you are being interesting. Totally. They're not going to cut away if, if if you're that authentic and that honest in, in your reactions. Cool. Aldous, thank you so much. This is so great. Do you have any um, um, parting words of wisdom? I just appreciate the time, the space. Uh, whenever anybody says anything that you may be um, predisposed to, to to negate or just open your mind up to consider um, mm. listening and understanding because that's really how we grow. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, and that's all I'll say. You know, even me, when I talk to people that I disagree with, my my debates in life and uh, love my dad, he always tells me I don't debate in feeling, I debate in fact, you know, and that teaches mm. me to, to listen 
because that is truly where we grow. So let's just listen to each other more and let's move towards the, the same goal of, of not only financial equity for all, but humane equity for all and how we mm. treat one another. Yeah. Yep. That's Beautiful. it. That's, that is it. Thank you. That's Thank the perfect you. note to end on. <laughs> Thank um, you, brother. And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hi guys, Christine McKenna-Torella here. I watched One Night in Miami this weekend and I absolutely adored it. Regina King does a beautiful job directing and framing this story and the actor's chemistry in that tiny hotel room is palpable. Beautiful acting from everyone involved. Amazing song at the end. I just know that there's a lot of top contenders across the board for award season. So lots of things to look out for there. It's on Prime. Um, I know you're going to love it. Before getting into the remote audition tips, I wanted to share a few facts about the film that I found really interesting. So One Night in Miami was partially shot during COVID. So it can be done, although there was some challenges along the way. Regina turned down anyone who was offer only A-list talent. If they wouldn't audition, she wouldn't consider them. And I think I really respect that. That's that's really awesome. Finally, she casts mostly from self-tapes and remote auditions. Again, it's happening. Don't be thinking you're sending these self-tapes and, and they're going into the void, right? Like truly major films and commercials and TV projects are all doing, you know, remote auditions. And I read an interview, and so I'm going to read a lengthy quote, but I think it's really worth it. Uh, she says, casting was definitely a process. Aldous was in Australia. Kingsley was in London. But there were little moments with each of them that you just go, yeah, it's you. Sometimes it may not even be the best reading or the best audition, but it'll, it's just the little thing that lets you know they understand the journey they are about to go on. When I read this, I really wanted to share it with you because I'm struck by how artistically generous and graceful this is. The audition doesn't have to be about perfectionism, right? It's about connecting with the work. You can be human. You can make mistakes. It doesn't have to be perfect. Put in the work. And when you're right, you're right. I hope that helps in your next audition. This week's tips are about remote virtual auditions. So Backstage was one of the first companies to launch a virtual audition platform back when the pandemic first began. And we've been developing and adding to the product along the way. We're really trying to make it the best it can be. First off, all self-taping rules apply, right? So lighting, be thoughtful about eyeline, be thoughtful about that medium shot unless uh, the casting director has requested something else. We covered self-tapes a few weeks back, so have a look at the material that we talked about on the podcast. Have a look at our self-tape guide on Backstage.com if you have any questions. Get super clear about what to expect, right? There is an element of unknown about our virtual auditions. We, we're really only getting into this space in the last kind of nine, ten months. Check with the casting director who will be reading with you, right? Is it going to be them? Will it be another person that you can't see? Will you be able to see them? These are all questions that are very valid and you're, you should ask before the audition begins. You can ask who will be in the audition room with you because, again, rather like, you know, a Zoom video conferencing or, you know, other platforms, 
people can be in the space with you, right? So we can have a, we can have up to 50 collaborators in our backstage platform. No one's going to have 50 people in the room. Don't panic. But, you know, casting director, director, producer, those are common people to be there as well as, of course, your reader. And ask if there are any additional notes you should keep in mind. If you can, use the camera on your phone. It's the highest resolution by far. So although it's tempting to use your laptop, if you can please use your phone. It'll be much better for um, the clarity of, of what we see on the other side. Check your Wi-Fi connection. Are you on the strongest connection in your home, in your room, etc.? Long term, it might be something you want to invest in uh, to upgrade your Wi-Fi if you're having issues with connectivity. Get online early so you can test your audio and camera levels before you start. And keep in mind, for the backstage platform in particular, you have your own personal audition room, right? You, it's a unique link. And the casting team joins you in that room. So um, there's a message board where the casting team can communicate you, with you while you're in the room together. Maybe, you know, you're on mute, etc. They're on mute. You can't hear them, you know, etc. All the things that could happen. Or, of course, they're not in the room yet and they can write messages to you to let you know that they're running late or, you know, to expect them in five minutes time and to have side two ready to go, something like that. So keep an eye on the message board on the right hand side of your screen when you are in a backstage virtual audition. Be careful about privacy browser extensions. I think I've made this point a few times, but I want to keep on spreading the word because there are so many privacy browser extensions out there and, you know, VPNs are now a big thing, these kind of virtual private networks, and they can block your ability to share your camera and sound and you might not be thinking about it. And what we've been finding from experience is that an actor may not even know that they have something... um, installed in their computer or installed in their extension for the browser that is blocking it, right? And then they think that there's something wrong with the tech and there's not. Unfortunately, it's the connection on your end. Finally, if there is a tech hiccup on your end or theirs, don't panic. Just connect with the team and check out how they want to handle rearranging. Or, you know, you might put yourself on tape. You will be seen. You will be considered. Casting highlights for this week. Animation continues to be a big trend for 2021, continued through from 2020. It's a way to produce new material for commercials, etc. So there is a high-paying casting for NYC Financial Board. It's a two-minute animated series seeking voiceover actors who are fluent in one of these languages. So Spanish, Mandarin, Korean, or Bengali. Details on the site if you have one of those language skills. And despite the lockdown and restrictions in the UK, there are still some amazing casting opportunities in that region. I'll highlight one this week. ITV's Autopsy are seeking a number of lookalike male actors for a biopic documentary series. The actors must be based in the UK and this shoots in London in February. Details on this site for exactly what the project entails. Head over to Backstage.com. There are literally hundreds of amazing casting calls live on the site right now for every region and every type of actor. That's all from me. Break a leg in all your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. 
Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.